I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Hi, everybody. I hope this week you'll check out We Found Time, my new online magazine, where we have essays this week by best-selling author Jill Santopolo, who wrote The, the Light We Lost. It's about her working out. V.C. Chickering. Allison Kane, Melissa Schultz, and Ashley Prentice Norton, um, who wrote The Chocolate Money, which I loved. They have written five amazing, beautiful essays, and you should go check them out at wefoundtime.com. This week's sponsor I'm really excited about is Peeled Snacks. And I've been buying Peeled Snacks for a long time, so I'm super excited they want to be a sponsor. My particular favorites are the apple gently dried fruits, but I'm also now obsessed with the salty snacks they have, particularly um, the baked pea crisps in sea salt flavor, which are delicious and amazing to have stocked now in the midst of this pandemic because they're healthy and um I don't feel guilty giving them to the kids. Uh, The fruits, too, are made with no added sugars, so that also makes me feel good since I alternate those with Fruit Loops. Anyway, Peeled Snacks is giving my listeners, that means you, a discount code of 15% off the entire purchase for just this week. And the discount code is capital Z for Zibby15. So go to Peeled Snacks, Zibby15. You get 15% off. Stuck up on some of these awesome, healthy dried fruits and salty snacks. By the way, the baked pea pea puffs, butter and sea salt are also really awesome. Um, So you'll know what I'm snacking on and we can snack together. Thanks so much to Field Snacks for being a sponsor. I'm via Skype today with Jeff Gordinier, who's the author of Hungry, Eating, Road Tripping, and Risking It All with the Greatest Chef in the World. Jeff is the food and drinks editor at Esquire and a frequent contributor to the New York Times, where he was previously a reporter. He's the author of X Saves the World and co-editor of the essay collection, Here She Comes Now. He currently lives north of New York City with his wife, Lauren Fonda, and his four children. So thanks for coming on my podcast, especially in this crazy time we're in right now. Your book, Hungry, Eating, Road Tripping, and Risking It All with the Greatest Chef in the World, was so great and made me sort of salivate for (laughs) something other than chicken fingers. Tell listeners what it's about and what inspired you to write this book, please. Well, this book comes from a very different time, which was, you know, a few years ago when we could go to (laughs) restaurants and we could go out of our houses. I was working at the New York Times. Times for the food section. I was on staff for six years at the New York Times. I was also in the midst of a divorce and living in a crummy little, you know, bachelor apartment actually down the street. And that very week that I moved out, I got an email from a guy named Rene Redzepi. Well, sort of through an operative of his, but nevertheless from Rene asking if I was willing to meet for coffee and talk about his new cookbook. And I was just not in the mood. (laughs) You know, as a journalist, particularly a food writer, my job is to meet with chefs like Rene Redzepi and learn what they're up to, do my due diligence. But, you know, I was I was in a foul mood, to be honest, and I didn't want to do it. And I just wanted to go home. But doing my job, I decided to meet him. And he's a guy, he's almost like the, the Bob Dylan of food. He's 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 a person who's completely changed the game. He's changed the way chefs cook all around the world, the way they look at foraging, the way they look at fermentation, natural wines. He and his team have just innovated and innovated crazily for like a decade or two. And a lot of stuff you eat and encounter in restaurants has been influenced by Noma 
Rene Redzepi's restaurant in Denmark, even if you don't know it. Like you've probably encountered some of his innovations, even just the way things look on a plate. So he's a dynamic force. He's a, he's he's a, he's a real star in this world. And I had never met him, even though I worked for the food section of the New York Times. So I met him, and in 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 a, in a word, my my life was changed. I mean, really, in an instant, my life changed. It was like I was in the Matrix, and I took the red pill or the blue pill or whichever one it was, and everything switched. I I mean, he turned out to be this wildly charismatic guy, almost kind of like a cult leader, just really mesmerizing. And he was like, you and I are going to go to Mexico. We're going to go on a trip to Mexico together. And I was like, what are you talking about? Who are you? What? <laughs> you know? He didn't really want to talk about his cookbook. He wanted to strategize this quest through Mexico we were going to do together, which I thought was financially impossible. And long story short, it ended up happening. I went to Mexico with him to write a story for the New York Times. Uh, for T Magazine, one of their publications. And that led to a connection with Rene. We, you know, as a journalist, you don't necessarily become friends with someone, but I, I did feel a personal connection. And I started to go to Denmark to eat at Noma. I started kind of tagging along with him, shall we say, because I found him to be a very inspiring person, just sort of like the kind of person you meet every now and then who changes your vantage point on life. I was down. I was going through a divorce. I was just kind of, I was basically suffering from pretty severe depression. And Renee was the cure. Wow. <laughs> so don't tell every therapist. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of like, he, I don't think he intended that to be the case, but he was kind of my therapist. Yeah, Zibby, exactly. I, I, I mean, I, I jokingly, a friend of mine about a year ago before the book came out, when he read it in galleys, he said, it, I love it. It's, Eat, pray, eat, love, eat, eat, eat. <laughs> like, eat, pray, love with way more eating. And, and I was like, yeah, it kind of is, actually. And I love Elizabeth Gilbert, so I, I thought that was flattering. I mean, it is kind of, you know, even if some of your audience is not into high-end tasting menus and, and you know, the, the, the high stakes of gastronomy and all that, all of which I admit right now seems very far away, the book is actually really about reinvention and, and personal change. It's really about how I changed and Renee changed in the course of these four years we spent together. Yeah, yeah gastronomy. I took my husband who loves food to per se once for the big, you know, like that oh. was a big splurge yeah. for our anniversary. And I was like, uh, can I get the rest of this to go? Because there were like 57 courses. They're like, what to go? That's oh. like against the whole point. So, yeah. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. You know, it's funny you say that because I happen to live, I, I'm here in the Hudson Valley, the Hudson River is right there. And I'm about 15 minutes from Blue oh, Hill and Stone so Barns, nice, yeah. right? Which is, yeah, I mean, it's it's like the Noma of New York. It's it's one of the great restaurants in the world. So on Friday, I found out they were, they were selling these $50 dinner boxes with a Blue Hill at Stone Barns meal for 50 bucks for the whole box. And, you know, so I, I ordered one and went over and got it, wrote about it for Esquire. Lauren and I had a sort of quarantine date night here. <laughs> and it was really interesting to think about, because in this case, it was basically one course, this giant hot pot, this soup. You heat up the soup and you kind of pour it over these meats, charcuterie, vegetables, eggs that they had provided. And it was really great. It was really delicious and distinctive. And it wasn't too much, to answer your point. Like, 
it wasn't that thing where you feel like, okay, we've been here for four hours. We've had, can we, I mean, I know we're very spoiled, but can we leave now? I mean, this is too much. This was actually perfect. It was a perfect Neo's nourishing, extremely delicious, like each ingredient at a place like Stone Barns is going to be the best you can ever find, you know, like the best cabbage, the best carrot, the best, you know, so, but I thought, I wonder in a way if restaurants like Noma and Blue Hill at Stone Barns will change a bit after this crisis. I mean, that, that sense of indulgence is probably going to feel a little tone deaf after all this. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some of them shift to something that's very communal. You know, like you're all together, you have a stew, you have soup, bread, fruit, wine, you know, something very elemental and beautiful. I would love to see that. Anyway, it's a little bit of a, a no, tangent that's okay. there. But There's I, a I'm, restaurant, I was going to follow <laughs> it up. There's a restaurant in New Jersey that actually my husband's cousin opened and he does like all the foraging, high end, you know, all of that. Oh. And they actually have opened a market. So they've t- taken all of their stuff and people just yeah. come and take all the ingredients. Like you were saying, you can just go shop there. So, yeah. Because a lot of that stuff would just go to waste. I feel like, I actually have been wondering, like, is there, if you could, what do you miss most about the restaurant world? Because I actually feel like going out and getting food outside of my house, which I haven't done at all, is like the thing that, one of the things, and this is like a a first world problem, but is one of the things I miss the most is being able to eat out or get somebody else's cooking. Not that I don't love my husband's cooking or, you know, when you stop life, I feel like restaurants, and this is like your whole you know, beat are like one of the most central things to what we do today. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, put it this way. I'm a guy who's obsessively in love with restaurants and bars. And I've basically spent 25, 30 years compulsively traveling around the world. And I really love privacy. So being cooped up in a house, it's like, I'm being honest with you, this is very new for me and kind of hellish. <laughs> as much as I love my family and I do deeply, it is sheer hell for me to be I cooped up. It's not, I am not the guy who understands this. Like, I'm not the guy who's like, oh, I just want to be home by the hearth. I mean, it, it's, there are many positives and it's really quite delightful to hold my twins and and in my arms and be with them really be present in the way we are now. But man, I am missing restaurants. And what I'm missing is that sense of escape and romance. And it's like people taking care of you. And, you know, last night, actually, at random, I don't really understand Twitter. I never seem to tweet anything that's popular. (laughs) But no one laughs. No one (laughs) likes it. But last night, I went on Twitter and just at random said something like suddenly the idea of walking into a bar and sitting down and ordering a cocktail feels like the most luxurious thing in the world. And I looked this morning and it had like 500 likes. And yeah, my first successful tweet after like (laughs) a decade. (laughs) But I think it's because that really resonates with people right now. You realize that we are so lucky to have bars and restaurants, not not because of you know, privilege or, or spending a lot of money, just the delight and self-care of sitting down and having something really beautiful made and presented to you, whether it's, you know, a cocktail or a taco or a rice bowl or a tasting menu. It's not about it being fancy. It's about that gesture. And it's also about community. I mean, I really, you know, my favorite restaurant 
is Via Carota in the West Village, okay? So on Grove Street, it's owned by Jody Williams and Rita Sodi, who are romantic partners. They're married and they're also business partners. And Lauren and I had our first date there. We got engaged there. I had my 50th birthday party there, which was small, but nevertheless. And, and you know, it's the kind of place, Zibby, where I will wander in on a day like this, you know, on a, a, a just a, a kind of lazy spring day or rainy day and get a bowl of pasta and some roasted vegetables or salad by myself at the bar and feel so good, <laughs> nourished, you know, happy to be a New Yorker, happy to be in a place with this high quality of food and care. And I miss that. I miss I miss it a lot. Like I, I went to a restaurant called Veronica just before this lockdown clamp down that we're going through. And it's in a new photography museum, sort of in, I guess you'd say the Flatiron District. And it's a beautiful museum. They had an Ellen Von Unworth exhibition of her, you know, very sexy magazine photos and stuff. So I went to the exhibition, then I met my wife for dinner. And part of it was they made stuff like Chicken Kiev, you know, that you're not going to make at home. They made lots of fancier old French and Russian and sort of Austrian dishes that are rich. And, you're, you know, you're just not going to, I'm not going to cook that at home. I don't, I don't have time. <laughs> it's too complicated. But this is going to sound weird. But also when we were leaving, the bar was packed in that New York way. It was like humming, right? And it was, oh, there's Simon Kim, who's a, a restaurateur. He owns Coat. It's this great Korean steakhouse. Oh, there's David Lippman. He's an advertising guy. I used to do some advertising work for him. We just saw friends. We saw friends as we walked out. We were sort of hugging and high-fiving and catching up. It was social. You know, it was, that, it was that thing like, wow, we're really in New York, and this is a cool scene. And poof, it's gone right now. I miss that. I miss that. No, Sorry, I'm literally I'm just like I, getting I'm, sadder and sadder my- as you're talking. As how much I miss it. No, because I've been trying like not to allow myself to think about the things I miss and just focusing, you know, trying to be all positive and whatnot and— but no, there is something really special about all that. And that's why people are so interested and interested in all the stuff you have to write about it, not just in your book, but in your columns. I mean, even just the act of thinking about it makes people happy, right? Like this conversation, I mean, it makes me sad because yeah. it's making me happy to think about the, you know, the experiences of, of restaurants and food. And I mean, how did you get started with covering this? How did this become your job? Like, how did you get so lucky? Well, you know, it's a good question because I think when you talk about being a food writer, everybody likes food. So they like reading about it. (laughs) It's kind of nice to write about something that pretty much everybody likes. I mean, everyone has a relationship with food. Everyone comes from a culture in which food is important, regardless of where in the world they're from. Food is almost inevitably central to the cultural expression of that place. So I started as, a, I mean, basically I started as a pop culture writer years ago. I worked for Entertainment Weekly. I was a music, a kind of like rock columnist in Santa Barbara, California years ago. At Entertainment Weekly, I wrote about movies and music. I've interviewed David Bowie, Willie Nelson, Nora Jones, Green Day, and lots of different filmmakers, movie stars, Julia Roberts, Sean Penn, you know, people, it was, it was fun. Honestly, Zibby, I felt like I was kind of aging out of that at a certain point, particularly the music. I'm actually in my daughter's room, my 17-year-old's room, and there's Harry Styles back there on the walls, you know? And so, you know, the Lemon Twigs, certain bands she likes. And I actually like these bands. I like Harry Styles. But there's many bands 
when you get to be 53, I, I don't know <laughs> what the hell they're doing. I can't relate to it, you know, and I felt like I was disengaging from music and I was becoming kind of an artifact, you know, like I was becoming personally obsolete in terms of what I could bring to music coverage. Because I think really when you're in your 20s and 30s, you can connect with it. And then it's, it changes. I'd love playing the old music now. <laughs> I got to admit it. So I started thinking, what's the next step? And it turned out that Pete Wells was my editor at, at Details Magazine. Pete Wells, as a lot of people know, is the, the restaurant critic of the New York Times. So his job has changed a lot right now. But he went to the New York Times to be the food editor. And he kind of said to me, you know, do you want to come over and profile chefs? Like, do you want to write profiles of chefs? You've done that with rock stars and movie stars, filmmakers, poets, etc., politicians as well. Would you want to bring that component to our pages? And I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, I still can't believe it happened, but it did happen. And so for about six years, I did that. I also wrote trend pieces and recipes and news stories. I mean, you do everything at the New York Times. Wrote for the travel section, wrote for book review, I wrote for styles. You know, I was, I'm pretty omnivorous in that way. So I think in the beginning, to be candid with your audience, I thought I knew a lot about food, but it turned out I was an amateur compared to all these professionals. I mean, I really loved eating it. <laughs> I grew up in a family that really was obsessed with food. We, we, I grew up in Los Angeles. We cared a lot about where we went for tacos and Chinese food, Thai food. I went to Spago when I was a kid, I admit it. I went to Michel Richard's restaurant Citrus. We would splurge, you know. So I grew up like really caring about this stuff and reading Jonathan Gold and Ruth Reichel and people like that. But once I got into it, I felt like I was playing in the major leagues and could barely swing a bat. It was like, oh, wait, who are these people? Like, what is that recipe? Um, so I had a lot of learning to do. I had, I had a lot of ramping up. I mean, now I know my stuff. I, I This is a good 12, 13 years in it. I wrote a whole book about Rene Redzevi. I, I feel pretty confident now, but I did not in the beginning. So I think it's a way to write about culture that's that's not and pop culture that's not writing about music or movies because so much of the cultural conversation these days is about food. You know, people like David Chang, Rene Redzepi, Dan Barber, Dominique Crenn, Gabriel Hamilton. Obviously, that we missed Anthony Bourdain greatly. These are these are cultural figures, great writers in many cases, great thinkers. They're pushing the conversation forward in terms of talking about the environment, health issues, political issues, issues of how workers are treated, and they're also stars. They're pop culture stars in that way. So I thought this is kind of a gold mine. I'm not the first person <laughs> to realize that, of course. There are many, many great food writers out there. I mean, hundreds. But uh, I just thought, wow, this is this could be fun. And it's kind of like being a Broadway writer. Like I've sometimes thought, wow, if you're a Broadway th theater critic, wouldn't that get boring? You know, like night after night, it's like the curtain goes up. Here comes the show. You know, some shows are good. Most are probably pretty mediocre. <laughs> you know, don't you just get sick of the ritual? You know, and I, I think sometimes people ask me, do you get sick of going to restaurants? And it's a ritual. You know, you sit down, hear the menus. Do you want to, you know, 
sparkling or still do you, you know <laughs> it's like broadway it's it, no i don't get sick of it i love every minute of it it's weird it's not weird it's like i'm addicted it's totally to it. understandable <laughs> it's always fun even when yeah. the meal is terrible it's kind of fun, i agree you know so as you're saying this i'm thinking <laughs> maybe i could somehow transform my house into a restaurant maybe i could like pretend like i'm my kids are going to be my, the waitresses, you know, like Parent Trap. Remember how they made, did you, maybe we'll try to oh, do yeah, that, like dim cool the lights idea. and get a tablecloth on like a play table or I don't know, something. Cause, oh yeah. You could do a whole <laughs> reality show. Yeah. I don't think anybody would care much. But. <laughs> <laughs> and also I wanted to ask you about your interviewing, because as you mentioned, you have interviewed like a bazillion people and just like scrolling through your list of the people that you've talked to is so impressive. What do you, like, what are your oh. tips for interviewing? What do you think makes good interviewing? When I'm interviewing other people, I don't tend to do this, which is like I'm talking so much. My friends know me as somebody who blathers on and on. <laughs> I think I'm it's sorry. Great. I'm a big talker. But when I'm interviewing people, you're doing a great job. You're listening. You're just, you know, it's it's about listening, right? And paying attention. You you know that. And paying attention to the nuances of the conversation with genuine intention and genuine connection and heart as much as you can. You know, it helps to spend a lot of time with the individual's work, you know, her music, her films, his cooking, what as much experience as you can have with his or her work, really immerse in it. You know, like I remember when I interviewed Willie Nelson, I went on Amazon. This is when I worked for Entertainment Weekly and, you know, the budgets were pretty generous <laughs> back then they were pretty unlimited so i went on amazon and i was like holy cow willie nelson has like 200 <laughs> albums you know like i didn't know that i thought he had you know most people have 20 i mean he had like it was like did he put out an album every week he had theme albums he had, he had like and you know i went to my editors and they were like just buy a bunch you know it's fine just hoard them you know so i i bought like 40 willie willie nelson albums or something and I spent, you know, like a week just immersed in his music, also researching and stuff, but really, really listening to all the the whole range of his kind of music. And then when I got on the bus with Willie in Colorado, I think this story is is a, it can be found online, which is not true of all my old stories. This one can. You know, I really felt confident. I felt like I knew his stuff. So if he referred to this period or that period when he used to be in Nashville before he went to Austin or redheaded stranger. I, I knew, you know, and it, that helps. It's like, so you don't feel like you're treading water or you're freaking out. You're like, yeah. Oh yeah. You know what song I like on there is this. The artist is going to have so much gratitude that you are respecting them with that. And yes, also with Willie, I partook, you know, I don't know how many people in your audience want it, but you know, Willie is famous for, for smoking weed. So yes, I, mean, I did. You had to. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. You had goes to. Yeah. Saying, I mean, that's, yes. just, that's just a fetish. I'm, I'm about to go move to Brooklyn just to be more authentic to all the writers that I interview. No. <laughs> I always find it weird that so many live in Brooklyn. I, I, I think that a lot of it is about saying yes. Okay. Which is kind of what my book Hungry is about. It's just about saying yes. Like it's so many crossroads in life. You're presented with that binary. You know, do you want to say yes to this adventure or do you want to say no? Almost always the sensible thing is to say no. Financially, logistically, 
it just makes most most you know what i don't know i don't i don't really have the money right now i th- you know what i really appreciate it but i think i'm just gonna stay home makes a ton of sense <laughs> now that we're all stuck home <laughs> you sure wish you said yes to that stuff like <laughs> and so you know like hungry is really about renee redzepi coming to me for the mexico trip but then really after that and saying do you say yes or do you say no because if you say yes we're gonna have a life-changing adventure and if you say no deep respect i know you you it does not going to work out there was one point when i had written about renee redzepi before the new york times and and i went on my email when you write about somebody, you sh- you're not going to be French. You sort of think that's it. You know, like Willie Nelson and I are not going to become buddies. But Rene Redzepi emailed me afterwards. Well, that what happened was on my like my email, suddenly there was this little bloop. And it said, you have a reservation at Noma for lunch on Friday. Noma is impossible to get into. I mean, literally any given day when it's open there might be 30,000 people on the wait list, okay? Right, I know. (laughs) Also, it's in Denmark. (laughs) I live in New York. So this was like, wait, what? What's going on here? Why do I have a table at Noma for lunch, you know? So I I texted Renee and I was like, hey, man, thanks. But I think there's been a mistake. Like maybe there was a a computer glitch because it seems like I, I got a reservation at Noma for lunch and it's in Copenhagen on Friday. And right now it's Tuesday. It was like something crazy like that. And in true Rene fashion, he basically said, take it or leave it. And I realized it was real. It wasn't a mistake. He he was actually kind of testing me. It was like, you can have this meal at Noma or not. It's, you know, we, we can find people to go, believe me. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it's a test. It's like, it's like Tony Robbins and in, in the, in the hot coals, you know? So I went on Orbitz or one of those sites and I found a cheap flight and I booked it. I just booked it. From an interpersonal relationship standpoint, <laughs> that probably wasn't so responsible. I probably should have run that by, you know, my ex-wife, etc. But I just thought I got to do this. So am I glad I said yes? Yeah. Not just because I got a book out of it, because I had this transformative experience and I had a meal that I will never forget. I mean, it really was that good, you know. And I think that to answer your question about interviewing, I think that that part of it is also that, like be willing to say yes to the moment. One of my stories that I seem to be still known for, and there's very few, I mean, you know, to me being a a magazine writer, it's kind of like being a baseball player or something. Like in the end, people will only remember Kirk Gibson at the World Series. He had like a broken leg and he hit a home run. They remember that. Kirk Gibson, they remember that. They, sometimes people remember you can work 30 years as I have and people remember three or four stories. And that's fine. You know, that's cool. Well, I feel like I'm sorry to cut this off, but I try to keep my podcast to like 30 minutes tops. Oh. I find that no matter who it is, people just don't have the oh. attention span to listen much beyond that. So although I feel like I could listen to you all day and if that restaurant in the West Village ever opens up again, which sounds amazing. You have to let me know and maybe we can all meet up or something. I got a deal. Let's go together. Okay, I'd love to. Via Carota. We'll go, okay? We'll all have a night out. Also, I'm wearing a hat from Missy, which is one of Missy Robbins' restaurants in Brooklyn. Missy Robbins was Esquire's Chef of the Year in 2018. And her restaurants as well, Lilia and Missy, like those and Via Carota, I'm missing so much. I'm missing that really good pasta and red wine totally. and roasted vegetables. That's like a, a meal so of we'll my dreams. That. Okay. <laughs> Something a, to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
All right. Well, right thanks, on. Jeff. I really okay. appreciate your time. It was fun. Thanks, Dave. Okay. Okay. I appreciate yours. See you around, okay? Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Peeled Snacks for being a sponsor of this week's episodes. Peeled Snacks, again, discount code ZIBBY15, capital Z, ZIBBY15, uh, for 15% off your purchase for this week only. And go check out the We Found Time com essays. They're so good and uh, they'll make you laugh and think and feel and, and all the good things. Have a great week. You can follow me on Instagram at moms don't have time to read books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.